Thank you so much for tuning into the Chronic Illness Support Podcast. Today, our guest is Karina Sturm, and she will be talking about her journey with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Disease Maps estimates that one in 5,000 people have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and there are different types. Thank you so much for joining me today, Karina. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for having me here. Um, a little bit about myself. So my name is Karina Sturm. I'm 35 years old and I'm a freelance journalist and writer and blogger. I also make films, um, but I wouldn't really call myself a filmmaker yet, at least. <laughs> um, my work's main focus is in medicine, science, um, chronic illness and disability. And it's especially important to me to represent my community accurately because that's usually or unfortunately not often the case in the media. So that means a lot to me. I have not always been a journalist. Um, I kind of stumbled into journalism by accident, I guess. Uh, I was a medical assistant in the past and then um, I became a lab technician and I worked in a research lab. But then I became really, really ill in 2010. And from there I had to quit my job. I couldn't, I couldn't work as, as a research associate anymore. And so I started to write about my daily life with um, my chronic illnesses, with my disability. I started a blog. I wrote for like other blogs, um, did guest interviews and things like that. And that's kind of how I stumbled into journalism. And then I combined my medicine and science knowledge with my personal experiences. And today um, I have a master's in journalism, which is finished actually um, a year ago. And I write for um, a variety of German and US publications, mainly with a focus on disability. That's great. Congratulations on all of your work. What made you decide to become an advocate? So I became an advocate out of pure necessity, I would say. Um, there simply was no other choice. Back then when I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, there just wasn't much information in my native language, um, German, out there. And I decided, well, why shouldn't I be the person to change that? Um, why would I complain about the lack of information if I can simply just provide it myself? So I started um, the first German blog and then um, tried to kind of summarize um, English publications there in German and just help other people find support. And then the other reason was um, when I was diagnosed, I felt I felt so lost because, you know, everything I was before was basically gone. So I was looking for a new purpose, for kind of a new sense in life. And I quickly figured, I mean, there really is no better purpose in life than, you know, raising awareness for a rare and underdiagnosed condition like Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and just supporting the community. So that's how I became an advocate by kind of accident. <laughs> that's great. You've been able to use what you've been through to help other people. How long did you suffer with symptoms before you were diagnosed? So it has been four years from the onset of acute life-threatening symptoms to finally getting diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, it all began in 2010 
when I had a medical treatment for rather random neck pain and headaches. Um, I got injections into my neck and from there it just went downhill. Um, something went terribly wrong. I almost died. I stopped breathing and over the next month um, I had symptoms like many neurological symptoms like my arms were numb, my legs were numb, my motor function was off, my vision was blurred and things like that. I went to dozens of doctors, uh, most of them told me it's all in my head, I'm just imagining this, and they simply didn't believe me. Um, and then I started to research myself and ordered my own tests, uh, which is something you're getting kind of used to if you're chronically ill, I guess. Um, and I was diagnosed with something called craniocervical instability which is basically um, the area between my head and my neck, my upper neck is unstable, which causes lots of neurological symptoms and was an explanation for what I was going through. Um, so I started treatments, I started to um, stabilize my muscles, do a lot of physical therapy, lots of other things, but nothing really happened and just got worse. And then over time, not only my neck got unstable, but also other joints, which didn't make much sense because apparently I should get better, right? But I didn't. Um, and after another four years of seeing doctors and just like not figuring out what the, what the problem is, why my body is just continuously getting worse, I decided to fly to the United States. Um, back then I lived in Germany. So I took all my savings and I flew to the United States to have another rather alternative treatment, which also remained unsuccessful. And this doctor didn't give up on me. And he was like, you know, there must be an underlying condition. Um, it simply doesn't make any sense that after your neck, all your other joints just become worse and worse. And he sent me to a neurosurgeon who turned out to be an expert for my underlying condition, which I didn't know back then. But when I saw him, he did a lot of tests and we talked for a long time. And when I left, he said, well, Karina, I'm absolutely sure you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and likely also many comorbid conditions. <laughs> and so, yeah, after four years and traveling, to another continent, um, I finally got diagnosed. I'm so sorry to hear about what you've been through on your health journey, and I'm glad you were able to find an expert. What treatments have you tried? Did they help? Did you have side effects? I have tried so many treatments, um, especially during the time where I didn't have a diagnosis. Obviously, you just kind of experiment. Um, you just try to figure out something that helps and makes you feel better. So I've spent or rather wasted <laughs> a lot of money for treatments that either didn't help or that even were harmful to me. But obviously, I didn't I didn't really know back then. Right. So, yeah, no regrets. Um, <laughs> but then after I got the EDS diagnosis, it got a lot better because finally there was at least a clear path. I mean, it's still like every person with EDS reacts differently to different treatments, but at least I knew there were like absolute contraindications and things that are supposed to at least help a little. Um, and right now, I guess it's um, a combination of 
of several things. Like for example, I take medication for my chronic illnesses. Um, I take medication for the chronic pain. I do physical therapy to strengthen my muscles um, and to just like support my joints. Um, I do a lot of mental health support lately. So I see a therapist. I try to um, do some mindfulness things like meditation and Tai Chi and Qigong. I have assistive devices such as braces, um, mobility aids. And then of course there is lifestyle adoptions and you just kind of figure out what hurts your body and then avoid doing this particular activity. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's mainly what helps me. Thank you so much for sharing information about your treatments. What other information would you like to discuss about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? One thing I find important to know about EDS is that EDS is a spectrum. So there are people that are mildly affected that can do pretty much everything throughout everyday life. And that then there are people that are severely affected that might not be able to get out of bed much. And there is everything in between. And I also find it important because that's a topic that comes up a lot, especially with healthy people, is that many of the symptoms of EDS are invisible. So we often look like, you know, young women, young men um, that are completely healthy while we are in a lot of pain, while our joints are unstable, while I have our blood pressure drops and we feel like fainting <laughs> and things like that. And you just can't see these things from the outside. And people tend to judge a lot based on that and just assume there's nothing wrong with you because they can see it. And that's something that's very, very hurtful to me personally, but I also feel like to many people in the community as well. And that's why I just kind of try to educate others about all these invisible conditions because EDS is just one of those, right? There are so, so many more that are invisible. And yeah, it's just like a common misconception in society that you have to see if someone is severely ill. You really don't have to because sometimes you just can't see it. and Or people might pretend they are fine while they are not because, you know, over the years we get pretty, pretty talented and kind of fake being well and to you know so people wouldn't worry about us so it's just like i would like people to not judge other people whether it's about invisible disabilities or anything else really just don't judge yeah that's really important information to know do you have other illnesses you would like to discuss Huh. <laughs> How much time do we have for this? Um, no, just kidding. Um, so EDS comes along with many comorbid conditions. We just know it does, but for most of these conditions, we don't know why they um, are caused or are existing with EDS. And I got a lot of those. So I counted 22 chronic conditions. It's like quite literally a full page of chronic health conditions, um, which is a little shocking. <laughs> and EDS seems to be, you know, the main diagnosis on this list. But there is also some autoimmune conditions, for example, Hashimoto's. Um, then I have 
several allergies, um, I have mast cell activation syndrome, I have craniosophical instability, some instabilities in the rest of my spine, um, I have vitamin deficiency, I have several disc prolapses, um, I have dysautonomia, I have small fiber neuropathy, I have scoliosis and thoracic outlet syndrome, um, I have a brainstem lesion, <laughs> and yeah, I actually have another rare condition. Um, it's a bleeding disorder. It's called factor seven deficiency, uh, which seems to be not related to EDS, but I guess I just was lucky in hitting the rare disease lottery here. <laughs> Thank you for sharing the other conditions that you have and how they could be possibly related to Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. How do you cope with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and chronic illness? So I have several coping strategies, but my absolutely most important one is writing. Um, whether that's writing in my diary just to get out all the emotions or writing some um, advice on my blog or writing articles about other topics that don't have to do with EDS. It's just how I stay balanced and it's been my main coping mechanism throughout my whole life. Um, I've started writing a diary when I was think 10 years old so i have a whole box full of like 20 diaries or so then another coping mechanism is listening to loud heavy metal music i always loved heavy metal and um, lately i just try to go out for long walks and then listen to loud music and then i usually feel better and calmer after and then i do like to read books and I read all kinds of books, but you know, when life gets really heavy and dark, um, I tend to read rom-coms because they're kind of light and happy and easy to digest and you can just hide in there for a bit. Uh, I also enjoy paddleboarding a lot or pretty much every activity that's somehow at or on the water. And I'm usually the happiest version of myself when I'm on water. So paddleboarding is a big one for me as well. And then, you know, that might, might sound trivial, but <laughs> my laptop and internet is very important for me because it's kind of my window to the outside world, a way to connect with people all around the world and with people that kind of feel the same way and um, that have EDS as well. And so, you know, Skyping, Zooming is super important for me to cope as well. Those are all helpful ways of coping. What is something you wish you would have known when you were diagnosed? What I wish I would have known when I was diagnosed is a lot of things. <laughs> For example, I wish I would have known more about this life as a chronically ill young woman with an invisible disability, as a person that all of a sudden belongs to a minority, even though it's a very large minority, but I just really didn't know anything about this. And I wish I would have educated myself a lot earlier about all the different groups out there because it's important. I wish I would have known that I have to advocate for myself all the time and that I don't have to just accept being gaslighted by doctors or belittled or by really anyone, not only medical professionals. I just don't have to take it. I can speak up for myself and I'm allowed to leave if somebody doesn't treat, treat me right. Um, I didn't quite understand that for a long time. 
I also wish I would have known that I am okay the way I am, whether I'm sick or healthy. That's not really what defines me as a person. I didn't quite understand that because I always defined myself over achievements and successes and grades and whatever. Um, and now all of a sudden this was gone and I felt worthless, which is absolute crap because you know you're not worthless just because you have limitations because that's just as normal as being healthy so it's fine you are great the way you are i also wish i would have known that i don't have to prove my value over these achievements which actually i do this sometimes like now as well it's just in different ways i guess but I still try to be an overachiever. I still kind of try to push myself beyond my limits until I realize my body just doesn't give a crap about what I want. It, you know, just shows me my limits. Um, I wish I would have known that I'm simply enough as a person without any achievements. Um, I wish I would have known that becoming ill and disabled is not the end it's just the beginning of a different life but this life it's nothing like i've imagined it or like i've planned it before but it's just as good and it's just as happy it's just different and i also wish i knew that <laughs> however much i try i cannot go back to my healthy self Because especially in the beginning after my diagnosis, I just couldn't accept that I'm chronically ill. So I, I just tried to push my body to do the things that I could do before and I couldn't understand why it's not possible. But I wasn't. And um, the moment I accepted that, um, the moment I felt better. And I also wish I would have known that this life, this chronically ill life makes me a better person in the end because I really feel like I became more empathic for other people, more understanding, less, less judgy. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I could have never imagined this would happen. And I also wish I would have known that I am allowed to say no. I don't have to be grateful for everything just because, you know, I'm chronically ill and people think as a chronically ill person, you have to just take every advice and say yes and be happy that people talk to you. No, you don't have to be. You can say no if you don't like something. <laughs> yeah, so that's all the things I wish I would have known and probably a lot more that I don't remember now because my healthy life has been gone for a while. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing what you wish you would have known when you were diagnosed. How does having chronic illness affect your daily life? So EDS is a multisystemic condition, which means it can affect the whole body and every organ and every system in the body. And many of the comorbid conditions of EDS, like mast cell activation and dysautonomia, are multisystemic conditions as well. So living with all of these conditions means that It affects every part of my life, like from getting up in the morning until I go back to sleep. It's just there are so many symptoms that you usually have a combination of several symptoms. But um, personally, I have learned to adapt 
to my limitations and to my symptoms. So as long as I'm at home, it's okay because I usually, you know, I have my little helpful devices that I use. Um, I know when to take breaks. I have my medication and everything is basically adapted to living with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. But of course it does get a lot trickier if you have to interact with the world around you, which, you know, sometimes happens because you have to go to doctor's appointments, you have to do healthy people stuff like buying groceries as well. And then, yes, then EDS does affect my life a lot because then there is the metro where I have to stand and and don't find a place to sit which I can for long amounts of time. So every time I leave my house, I need to plan this. Um, Then there is my neck pain that often prevents me from doing really anything because it can get so bad that I just basically lie in in bed for, for days. And yeah, so EDS can affect and often will affect most parts of your life. And it's often difficult to deal with it and very frustrating at times as well because you want to do all these things but your body just sometimes doesn't really allow you to do them but I guess you're getting used to it and you're getting better at coping over time um, with all the ways EDS affects our life so yeah that's understandable I'm sorry to hear about how bad your neck pain can get How are you doing now with symptoms? It's a really hard question to answer how I'm doing. I mean, you know, usually if people ask me that, I'm just saying I'm fine or I'm okay because most people don't actually want to know how you're doing, honestly. Um, Well, I'm, I'm doing okay after all these years. I mean, I'm used to like never feeling great. Um, There's always chronic pain. There is always symptoms from my neck instability and many, many more. Um, But after such a long time, I've found strategies to kind of at least ignore my symptoms for parts of the day, like especially using my coping mechanisms like writing usually distracts me for a while. So my symptoms at least aren't on the forefront of my mind. But of course, they're always there. So (laughs) it's just kind of a matter of how you deal with them, I guess. Um, And my condition hasn't progressed downhill too much. Um, I guess I can say that every year it gets a little worse, especially pain-wise, and my joints just don't get better. Um, But I've slowed down the progress with physical therapy, um, assistive devices and other things. And I can say that I live a pretty happy life overall and I just try to enjoy my life as much as I can and live to the best of my ability with my chronic conditions. And yeah, so my symptoms are my symptoms. They're always there, but I don't have to give them too much attention. At least that's my strategy right now. Thank you for sharing how you're doing. I'm glad you've been able to find some things that have helped you cope with your symptoms. What piece of advice do you want to give listeners? Yeah, I'm not the best person at giving advice because I usually suck at taking advice myself. Um, I'm really stubborn and often just feel like I have to push through 
which is not necessarily the best way. But if I could give some advice, then I think my first suggestion would be please never give up. I know it's so incredibly hard sometimes and it's so frustrating and often it seems like when one bad thing happens, 10 other follow and you're just buried in all these problems. But it does get better and I know there is a breaking point for every person and I feel like I've been very close to that point for a while but I still haven't given up and it's worth it. We only have this one life and we need to kind of make the best out of it so don't give up. Um, My second advice would be please do not let anyone tell you how to cope with your condition. I know lots of people give us great advice on, you know, how to cure our illnesses and whatever. And, you know, do some yoga and drink some tea and you'll be fine or whatever. But it's your body. You know best what you can do and what's good for you. So don't just do something other people tell you because you feel like you have to. You really don't have to (laughs) just do what feels right to you. Then the third advice I would give is listen to your gut and don't take any shit from anyone else. Like not medical professionals, not friends, not any healthy person you meet on the street. Just do what feels right to you. If you decide you can work full time, do it. If you can't work at all, that's fine too. If you want to have kids or don't have kids for a different reason, whatever it's your decision it's your life you don't need to justify your decisions in front of anyone then the other advice i would give you is if you don't think that your doctor got it right ask for a second opinion if you don't think that doctor got it right then ask for a third one or a fourth one ask for as many opinions as you need to feel comfortable with the diagnosis you got and Do not give up before that. Also, don't be afraid to ask for support. (laughs) That's actually a big one because um, I'm rather bad at doing that. (laughs) I uh, never ask for help. But it's really not a bad thing. And usually other people like to help. I do like to help. Um, I know we usually hate asking for help. But we sometimes still need it. So just ask. Always do your own research, like never assume medical professional do the research for you or anyone else really, because you need to be the expert for your condition and you need to know what the most recent management guidelines are or what medication just came out or whatever, because it's very likely that nobody else will do this for you. And my last piece of advice is Live your life to the fullest as long as you can. (laughs) Things might change fast at some point and you don't want to have any regrets. Like don't look back and think like I wish I would have done this and that. Just do it now as long as you still can so that you don't have regrets later. And yeah, I guess now I should take my own advice as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's all great advice. How can someone show support? I think for me, the most important thing somebody else could do um, to support me is be proactive and get educated about the chronic condition I'm living with. 
because it means you actually care. <laughs> so if you read my articles, my blog posts, or you read any other website about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome that has valuable information, I really appreciate it. I appreciate if you know what I'm going through and if you try to understand. So that's, to me, the most important support that anyone can give me. That's a great way to show support. How can listeners connect with you? Well, if you want to connect with me, there are many, many ways to do so. So I have a journalistic website where I kind of show my work and everything I'm up to. It's karina uh, sturmcom Then I have a bilingual blog, which um, features some personal experiences with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and comorbid conditions, some videos, a podcast, and um, like some EDS information resources. Um, it's called holy shit I am sick.de. It's in English and German. Um, and then I have a website for my documentary film about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's called viavisiblefilm.com. And then you can also find me on Facebook. It's at KarinaSturm86. On Insta, it's at Karina.Sturm. And on Twitter, at KarinaSturm. That's about it. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and I do a little bit on Vimeo and YouTube and SoundCloud. But yeah, those are my main ones. Thanks. Awesome. I will include all that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Chronic Illness Support Podcast to talk about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and chronic illness to help provide education and awareness. I enjoyed having you, Karina. If you found listening to the Chronic Illness Support Podcast helpful in any way, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening. <music>